What do you want? This is a test of the emergency broadcast system. Getting the people out there with the sticks poking them as they comb the fields looking for a corpse and stuff. Meanwhile, she's like two blocks away on her bicycle. The broadcasters of your area Don't worry, none of us are hooking up with them and you don't have to either. <laughs> I'm Sanders, and he's Liv, and we are Two Sorry Excuses. Liveroo! What's up, Sam, man? Oh, what's happening, man? <laughs> Not much, just chilling. Now my night just got free. Uh, two Sorry Excuses, episode three. Yes, uh, on a special Wednesday night edition. Yeah, the uh, Saints came marching in, huh? Yeah, and um, everything's breaking my way, though. I'm supposed to go to court tomorrow for a trial uh, down about 70 miles away from here, down the bayou in Homa, and fortunately, the judge bumped us, you know, so it allows us to do this podcast tonight, or else I'd be fretting over all that stuff, you know? Nice, nice. I'm going to assume that's a professional appearance, not a personal appearance. Yes, unfortunately. <laughs> I don't get much for the personal appearances. Well, I'm glad we were able to squeeze it in because we got some good stuff uh, to chat about. Okay. Uh, Colgate game, St. Francis, uh, Maui Invitational is coming up. Uh, Rick Springfield's ass is in the news. Yes, um, and basically, basically, we've gone. We've if we haven't gone viral, at least we've gone bronchial. I'd say, <laughs> with the launch of our uh, Two Sorry Excuses Facebook page, um, thanks to thanks to you. Nice I job getting that up. I don't know as much as it's just like a mild rash. <laughs> a small irritant. <laughs> yeah. S- similar to the irritant. podcast. Like Aaron Goldberg, a small irritant. <laughs> <laughs> well, we, we gained some momentum, and, and, and I didn't think um, – I honestly, at this point, I didn't think I knew – uh, 70 some odd people. Um, but Facebook unites. I, I think this thing, this Facebook thing is really going to take off eventually. And I think people are going to be able to share ideas. Hey, um, um, we might need this. Can we pause this for two seconds? Sure. All right. Yeah, we're back. Would you have Dealing uh, with family issues? My niece is at a soccer game and my mother was supposed to go pick her up. And then she's just calling I guess because she can't get in touch with my mother to tell me that someone else is bringing her home. And you can just imagine the type of hijinks that will ensue if my mother has to go all the way out there. 
to pick her up and not realize <laughs> she's not there. <laughs> uh, I wouldn't want to be in her shoes, your niece or your mother's. Yes. So, you know, they'll be calling in, the, you know, the police, the FBI. Uh, years ago, you know, hell, this probably was five or six years ago when my sister and her were out one night. She was riding a bicycle and my sister, her mother, was walking along and she rode the bicycle up ahead a little too far. My sister didn't see her because she rode off like a few blocks down or around the corner or something. They start freaking out, you know, they called, she called the father-in-law, who's actually a police officer, a parole officer, but basically a police officer. They were, he flew down here and it was, my niece had no clue that she had caused all that type of uh, major pursuit. So where did she end up? Where'd she go? She, she just rode ahead because she was on a bicycle and my, her mother was walking. She didn't think anything of it. She's like, I'm on a bicycle, and she just rode off. <laughs> How old is she? She's a high school student? Well, now she is, but this was probably when she was like in, she was probably like in fifth grade or something, you know, and it was nighttime. So, I mean, it was probably like 9, 9.30 or something. I know I was in law school at the time, and they calling me up and freaking out, and I'm like, I don't even know what the hell I can do from where I was. You know? <laughs> I mean, the least. Like twenty minutes later, it was like, forget about it. She's been found. It lasted twenty minutes. Yeah, because she was right around the corner, basically. (laughs) (laughs) They're like getting the people out there with the sticks poking them as they comb the fields looking for a corpse and stuff. Meanwhile, she's like two blocks away on her bicycle. Bloodhounds are how they brought the bloodhounds out. And I imagine every law enforcement uh, agent um, in, in New Orleans um, has the the hip holster that drags real low, <laughs> and they've they've got their top two buttons unbuttoned, and they haven't shaved in a few days, and they're they're combing the the bayou. That's what that's what we picture up here in, in Jersey. <laughs> yes, that's what it is constantly. <laughs> it's it's the most egregious stereotype you've seen in every. <laughs> Movie like the Big Easy, um, Tightrope, the Clint Eastwood classic, uh, the guys on Treme, anything. It's just the 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 worst stereotype of a Southern uh, police officer in New Orleans. You know, they all have thick accents and they're constantly eating gumbo. You know, they're constantly being pulled away from their bowl of gumbo to go investigate a crime that they don't really want to fool. And they they always they're dragging the bayou. They just. They yes. just constantly drag. <laughs> They're always just sweating. <laughs> they got the two buttons down, like you said, you know, and the beads of perspiration all over. It's just one miserable existence. <laughs> and they're in their little flat boats in the bayou looking for the corpses. That's what's going on. That's right. Not everybody gets a car. They, they just get those flat-bottom fan boats, right? Yeah, exactly. Like Frogger. <laughs> Frogger cartoon. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, and they cruised around on that um, airboat, which was stupid because they're frogs. I don't know <laughs> they needed a boat, but <laughs> I don't remember the, I don't know, maybe I'm wrong. I don't remember the airboat being a significant part of the actual video game. <laughs> <laughs> no, I don't. It was mostly road. 
Yeah, so it was a frog having to cross the road. He didn't have a vehicle of any sort to get anywhere. <laughs> and if he had one, it would defeat the purpose. He really wouldn't need to be on the opposite side of the road. Yes, but how could you build a cartoon around that? Uh, I guess. You know? Yeah, I guess. Well, every, I guess you could. Thirteen weeks of a frog trying to cross the road. <laughs> <laughs> Oh, good times. Good times. Yes, yes. See see how he tries to cross the road this week, and will he make it? <laughs> oh, man. Oh, good stuff, man. Good stuff. Yeah, I think Frogger might have only lasted about 13 episodes. But <laughs> I don't know. I watched all that crap when I was a kid. The Rubik's Cube cartoon. How stupid was that? Cubert, there was a Cubert cartoon. Yes, the Cubert cartoon, the Pac-Man cartoon, which I think was packaged with the Frogger cartoon. I believe so. Uh, the Mr. T cartoon, you remember that? Yes. I don't know why Mr. T was in charge of a team of gymnasts, but <laughs> he had his team of gymnasts and they solved crimes and stuff. I, you know, I'll, I'll never really understand that. Um, my favorite um, odd pairing was uh, anytime the Glo- Harlem Globetrotters ended up on Scooby Doo. Yes, yes. <laughs> Harlem Globetrotters, man, they were all over that seventies, early eighties ish uh, pop culture. You know, I used to have a um, a Harlem Globetrotters lunchbox, and I thought I was the coolest thing. Nice. The little metal, know. the metal one with the yeah. um, the little plastic handle. And I'm sure Curly Neal and Meadowlark Lemon were featured prominently. Uh, as well as Goose Goslin. Yep. Yep, they were great. I remember I saw them, I believe I can almost even, I think I even know the date. I think it must have been like February 13th, 1986 in the Louisiana Superdome. Whoa, whoa, wait a minute, wait a minute. <laughs> How do you know the exact date? Because I remember weird stuff, but mm-hmm. that might not be the exact date, but it was sometime around that time. Okay. And it was really cool, of course, because my, my dad grew up on the Harlem Globetrotters, you know. Right. When, like, they were, like, a bigger deal. So you always had to point out, oh, well, they're not as good as they used to be. Because, you know, <laughs> they didn't, Curly Neal and all those guys, I don't think, were with them anymore at that time. Right. You know, he liked to always mention about uh, Pete Maravich, the only white guy the Harlem Globetrotters ever asked to join the team. <laughs> I think that's changed now. I think they've had other white guys. Not that you heard of any of them, because now it's just like these second-tier college ball players that end up on the Globetrotters. But um, I don't know. I was always a big fan of the Gilligan's Island Globetrotters episode. Uh, you remember that? Yeah, yeah. You know? Um, but that's that. That is that. <laughs> so we've got a special Wednesday edition um, because the Saints play uh, tomorrow night. Yep. Um, we had uh, Cuse Colgate on Saturday. Yep, and our the safe, first shooting was horrendous in that one. The uh, FSU football game, if you want to call it, on Saturday. Yeah, well, we were good for about one play. <laughs> the uh, St. Francis scare on Monday. Yep, this, this, uh, this podcast was almost canceled that Monday. And then uh, you got your Saints on Thursday. That's a full. That's a full sporting calendar, my friend. Yeah, I went to the Saints game Sunday. Actually, you did. Yeah, uh, Saturday night, a friend of mine offered me two tickets. I knew they were going to be horrible nosebleed tickets, but it was one of those things you got to accept them, or you'll never be asked again. Yeah, 
<laughs> How many games you go to a year? I'd probably get to about maybe three or four. Oh, that's pretty solid. Yeah, I mean it's not so bad. Um, I don't think I have the. I don't think I could do it every week. You know, people that do it every week. You know, most of the games start at noon. You know, because we're an hour behind. Right. They're getting out there eight nine in the morning on a Sunday. You know, it's it's rough, man. And I'm old now. Yeah, like, it's I a drink co- like three or four beers and the heartburn's burning. It's a commitment, and it's only eight games. You know, it's only eight weeks out of the year, but that's those are those are all in for those eight yep. weeks. This week was good because it was a three twenty five start. You know, so I was like, oh, good, I can casually get up, have breakfast, and do whatever I have to do before heading down there. You know. Um. I've been down there to see uh, a football game at the Dome. A um, couple years ago, Ange's uh, co-workers, friends. It's the Eagles. But, right, co-workers. They belonged to this like, Eagles fan club. And I'm not an Eagles fan. Ange could have cared less about the Eagles. But, you know, it was an opportunity to kind of hang out with some people we normally wouldn't have and, you know, go away um, and, you know, booze for three or four days. So yep. one of the first trips we went to was New Orleans. Um, with a bunch of Eagles fans who could be the most obnoxious people in the entire world. Well, you were with that one guy who was like head of the crew that dresses up, right? Well, yeah. We went with the group, um, I forget their name, the, the Green Legion or the Legion of Green. Uh, and the, the guy who runs the trip dresses up as a Grim Reaper and leads a parade of Eagles fans to whatever venue it is that we're, we're you know, that they're visiting. Um, yeah. So I don't even remember where we started the, the tailgate or the pregame because it's part of a deal. You get a hotel, you get a airfare, yeah. uh, and they throw a huge tailgate for you, which is yeah. really cool. Um, and I don't remember where it was. I'm going to say it was in the quarter somewhere. Um, and it was a good spread and, we, you know, got a ton of booze and, and free food or we paid for the food. But it was like a buffet. And yep. then we march to the to the stadium. In this case, how how far of a walk is that from? Uh, I mean, that's not that far. I mean, a mile max, maybe. That's what it felt like. It felt like about a mile. But when you're moving at parade pace in, you know, somebody else's city, being led by a madman with Having frosted no clue tips, what the landmarks are right, exactly. You, yeah. you you don't know where you are and. Um, it you know it it ended up not being as fun as it sounded, um, but we had a good time in New Orleans and and New Orleans fans are good fans and and we enjoyed the game it was a cool place good atmosphere I definitely go back down you know not only to visit but obviously catch a catch a sporting event. I remember hanging out with you and Ange that weekend. Yeah, it was a good weekend. I believe I actually had to crash on the couch in the hotel room. Um. um. You definitely crashed in the in the hotel room. You might have actually even crashed in the bed. Possibly. And I, went back to the hotel early, and then you and I stayed out. And I probably kept you out a little too late. Because right. I remember I had you at some place, and, and I wanted to be out. And you just had to go home, and I'm like, oh, I got to take Sanders oh. home. Yeah, yeah, yeah. No, I do remember. We got, yeah. we, we got and a we cab. And then we got a cab, and right when we got out of the cab... <laughs> You just you just tossed your cookies all over the street, <laughs> right? We 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 went somewhere yeah. to eat, right? Yeah, like that's what I ate. 
<laughs> I rented New Orleans cuisine. Yeah, I didn't buy that was, it. Um, that was a fun weekend. That was a good weekend. I don't think we were married yet. I think that might have been like our first big trip. Um, I think that might have been the first time I met Ange. I, I think it probably was. It probably what, was. What a magical night that was. Or she magical might, weekend. She might have been the first. You might have been the first person that you might have been the first person she met. I can't I can't be positive, but the timing would be right. And I'm pretty sure where I met y'all when I first went down to meet y'all. You know, I got down there and I met y'all, I believe, in the middle of the day at Razoo. Yes. Which is the same bar where we hung out with Tim McNamara, brother of Jerry. That's where all my New Orleans memories are made. Yes, it's the center of everything. Billy Edlin couldn't get in. Yep, Billy Edlin couldn't get in. We met we the got Blue Whore. Great bitter picture with Billy Edlin. We met the Blue Whore. Yep, the blue, the famous Blue Whore. <laughs> you know what? I'm gonna I'm gonna uh, take a trip down, and we'll we'll have to reprise the whole Razoo. Yeah, definitely. Although it's a horrible place, just so many significant things have happened there. Oddly enough. For us or for others? For us. Oh, yeah? I mean, I guess for others. I mean, I'm sure Tim McNamara still talks about the time he met two, three random guys who were all psyched that his brother won the national championship. He pulls out a picture and shows yeah, them like, of, of two guys checking out. He's checking out our photo IDs to make sure we are who we say we are. Yes. <laughs> and, the, and the guy that looked like Ben Affleck is probably telling people stories about the random guys that want to party with him because he looked like Ben Affleck. <laughs> <laughs> you remember that guy, right? I do remember that. Not, not until you mentioned it uh, that very second. Uh, magical times happen at Razoo, man. Yeah, yeah. Yep. Oh, goodness. Rewards, oh, well. Oh, well. McNamara's and bitter Edelins. Um, speaking of uh, trips down memory lane, our um, our Facebook page, um, as I mentioned, got a huge bump uh, this week after its launch. And um, a lot of the attention was centered around an oldie but a goodie throwback uh, photo that I had found. Yeah, um, that, that photo definitely started a firestorm. It started a frenzy on liking the page of all these people from your generation. Uh, which is funny because uh, a lot of those people I probably haven't talked to since that photo was taken. But a, a couple of people, even the participants in the picture, um, reached out and asked for some clarification on the picture. <laughs> and... Uh, you can go to our Facebook page. What, how do you get to our Facebook page, Liver? Uh, you go, it's just search Two Sorry Excuses. I mean, uh, let's see. Uh, that's good enough. Uh, yeah, I two, mean, that's what it is. It's two Sorry two excuses. excuses. It'll come up. The picture will be of uh, you and I and Julie Beheim. Yes. And yes. Mrs. Beheim's sister. Yes, the, the Duchess of Central New York. I tell you, know you're in the right place. Yes. Um, and the picture in question is a is a picture of uh, six guys in various states of dress standing around a sorority composite, and uh, it's it's me and, and Reardon and Peters soap soap, 
And then a couple guys we haven't talked about um, or, or, or folks might not know, uh, Little Koopy and Bailey, who were our roommates all of uh, junior year. At I was Jay Bailey when I was an underage drinker, actually. You didn't know Jay Bailey? No, I just was Jay Bailey. That was the, Oh, okay. Yeah, very good. The summer after freshman year when I was up there, uh, and Dan Orenstein, the infamous one, was subletting from you guys, and Cuddy was living in the house, you know, so, you know, we used to hang out there all the time, and there was this guy that hung out with us that befriended one of the neighbors, the people in that, uh, you know, like, the, the driveway right there, and they had that big apartment building? Yes. People that lived in one of those apartments, and they're like, one day they were like, we found this on the floor, you know, and it was like a license, student ID, and a... And a credit card, all long canceled stuff, you know. And it was Jay Bailey, his student ID, and a card. And this guy's like, he's like, man, this is great. They say I can use this. It's a great fake ID. He's like, but I don't really drink. He's like, you want it? I was like, <laughs> of course, a real ID with two backups, including photo backup. It's like you don't even have to look like the guy for that to pass. Did you know Bailey, or at least of Bailey? I only met him later on. After yeah. you had his ID? Oh, yeah, after I had his ID. I think it was after he graduated when I met him. Yeah, that would make sense because the year that he lived with us, he was a senior. Um, we had okay. met him through working at Fagan's, and, and um, he and Little Koopy were buddies. And we got the, the 1106 house, and, and it had, you know, whatever it had, five bedrooms, six bedrooms. And yeah. there were only four of us at the time. And Laughlin was on uh, study abroad. So we lived with Cooper and, and, and Bailey for that entire year, plus the four of us, but we needed somebody to, um, we needed somebody to, to fill Laughlin's half a semester or half a a year spot because he was going to be gone for the first semester. And uh, Matt Coquette was, Mm -hmm. Um, a door guy Fagan's and you know we kind of just knew him he's an older guy uh, maybe like a fifth year senior by that point so he needed a place and he ended up moving in taking Laughlin's half for the year and um, you know we kind of palled around with him he was a good guy worked at Fagan's you know mm-hmm. just kind of standard roommate kind of deal so uh, those are the players in the in the in the picture and, and let me um let me interject r- real quick. Was there not a huge version, like a like a four foot by three foot framed version of that picture hanging up in eleven oh six Madison? <laughs> there may there may very well have been. I, I, I think it was hanging over the fireplace. I think when we moved in, we uh, took it down. I'm gonna say a hundred percent. You're correct. Then <laughs> okay, there would be. <laughs> There'd be no reason for us to not document that particular outing in grandiose fashion. So I'm pretty sure that we had that picture hanging. Can you answer this? Where was Mike Peters heading to before (laughs) or after? Coming from or heading to in that picture? Okay, this is is the beauty and this is how it all ties together and this is why um, the the sorority composite is, is significant. Um, none of us were in a fraternity. Um, 
never, you know, decided to rush or, or even show an interest in the Greek system. So we kind of hung out to ourselves and, you know, just palled around and, you know, had our own intramural football team. And some of us worked at the bar, some of us didn't. But um, Coquette was a big admirer of um, of the Greek system. Sorority girls, a bunch of his mm-hmm. good buddies were in uh, sorori- uh, were in fraternities, and you know he kind of hung around with that crew. So when we moved in together, he seized the opportunity to uh, kind of anoint us uh, like an ad hoc fraternity. And uh, since 90210 was big at the time, he dubbed us the yes. Keg House. Yes. And um, in this particular instance, uh, we had an intramural football game the that that particular night of the picture. Um, and we had all come back. We decided to take a picture around the composite. I don't know why at that particular time um, in our, you know, in our intramural clothes, but um, Peters had to leave the game early and come home and shower and get dressed for a uh, sorority formal okay, or kind of a, what it must have been. a screw your sister or grab a date or a wing ding or something like that. Um, to which hump a pillow <laughs> to which coquette was really, really pissed because Peters was representing 1106 Madison at a sorority function that Coquette wasn't representing 1106 Madison Street at. And uh, it was it was a bone of contention because Coquette kept a not-so-silent count of... is <laughs> 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 a 21-plus-year-old uh, man who kept count of the various um, sorority functions that each of the members of 1106 went to <laughs> coupled with their sexual prowess or perceived sexual prowess amongst those uh, <laughs> sorority girls and thus ranked a de facto social pecking order in the house. I think you need to explain a little bit more about the keg, about the keg house and its connection to your nickname. Right. So at the time... Nine oh two one zero was um, was huge to the point where it was not an embarrassment to sit back and watch it. And whatever night it was on, um, we would you know kind of make plans and, and grab some beer and watch it. And maybe we invited girls over. I don't probably probably unlikely, but let's stick with the story that maybe we invited girls over to watch it. Sure. <laughs> and um, you know that goes all the way back to freshman year. And at that time, uh, a uh, psycho- uh, philosophy professor, Lawrence Thomas, who was particularly well known at the time, uh, yeah, for I took some, his class. Yeah, for some of his scholarly work as well as his uh, as well as his lectures, um, dubbed me Sanders. He mispronounced my name, or I mispronounced my name, and the the result was I became Mr. Sanders. Yes. So I brought that back and um, 
you know, told the guys, hey, you'll never guess what happened. And everybody got a chuckle out of it and, and said, oh, yeah, well, Steve Sanders, 90210. From now on, you're Steve Sanders, and that's going to be your, you know, that's going to be your name. Um, you know, we're only a couple weeks into freshman year, and that's kind of how these stories evolve. Of course. But, I'm stuck with it for four years. But it was too it was it was not a particularly natural marriage. I didn't look like Steve Sanders, you know. We didn't really, uh, at, you know, have any th- um, allegiance or or um, affinity to nine hundred two and zero. It was just kind of something we watched. There'd be no reason to kind of carry on this connection between Steve Sanders and myself and you know our group of guys. So it just kind of died, and Sanders stuck, but there was not any other connection between the, um, you know, the 90210 Sanders and, and myself until we moved into 1106 Madison junior year, and Coquette dubbed us <laughs> brothers of the keg house, because the keg house was the the uh, the fraternity that uh, I'm gonna guess Steve Sanders and and maybe yes. some of the other characters joined when they went to college. If I remember, Steve Sanders was the quintessential frat guy on nine hundred two one oh, or as Fredo used to call it, nine hundred two one boom. boom, boom. <laughs> <laughs> So when we kind of moved in together and, um, you know, I got to be friendly with Coquette, he couldn't have been more excited to make the connection between 90210 and and this group of guys living in, you know, in a house without any fraternity affiliation. Because like I mentioned, he he fancied himself, uh, you know, a a Greek sympathizer, if if nothing else. A Greek Greek sympathizer. He was harboring Greeks. So he loved the fact that we... um, that that we were a de facto fraternity, and I was Steve Sanders, <laughs> and that we had stolen this composite. And and the story behind the composite is is just it's, that's a whole other half hour in and of itself. Yeah. But essentially, I became friends with these girls. Um, Gamma Phi Beta is the is the sorority that. Um, Before I even knew you, I knew your nickname too. Okay, those were the girls that bestowed that nickname upon me. A friend of mine, sophomore year, was dating some girl from Camify Beta. And I might have met you once at that point, but we had already decided we were moving in. She's like, oh, you must know Dimples. (laughs) (laughs) Well, this is how how pathetic um, I was at the time. Or still am, but this was a, a different variation of, of pathos. I um, I had free reign in that sorority house. I yeah. would go there after the bars and ring the doorbell <laughs> at two or three, and some random person would open the door and say, oh, hey, come on in, and then allow me to have free roam of the sorority house. Now they put out, the reason I went there uh, was, was not to hook up or not to make the moves. The food. Uh, it was free food that they put out. <laughs> I knew that. <laughs> so I would go in and, and, you know, kind of raid the cabinet, take a bunch of things. And then, 
you know, if I ran into somebody that I knew, we would sit, maybe chat a little while, hang out. Um, I'd fallen asleep there on occasion, you know, kind of no big deal. But it got to the point where I'd be walking freely around the halls and, and you know, I would hear maybe a girl or, or two that I had not met, you know, confide in, in one of the other sorority sisters. Uh, who, who is that? Who is that guy? What's he doing here? And to which the standard response was, oh, don't worry. He's harmless. He's just dimples, which if at that point I stood any chance of random uh, carnal knowledge in the sorority house, that automatically blew, you know, blew me out of the water. So don't worry. Don't worry. None of us are hooking up with him and you don't have to either. Uh, that was that was basically it. That was basically it. I, I was, uh, but for the fact that I'm still very very good friends with one or two of those girls who were in that sorority, uh, it it would have been a total waste of time and a lost leader. Looking back on it, you know, whatever twenty years later, boy, yeah. I really waste my time hanging around that joint. But I ended up having a couple of good I friends. Was so much more three o'clock in the morning. <laughs> <laughs> I ended up making a couple of good friends and have this story of stealing their composite. I, I don't know why it wasn't a, a it wasn't a cantankerous relationship. I got along yeah. great with them, you know. Like it wasn't it it, it was a, like a brotherly sisterly you know kind of deal. And they knew that I was there just for I was like a bear. They let yeah. me they let me have access to the food. And as long as they, you know, kept their distance and didn't startle me, I would quickly wander out eventually and, and no one would be the wiser except this one particular night. Um, I decided. You were like Yogi Bear. I was what? You were more like Yogi Bear. You were often bottomless, <laughs> running around, <laughs> eating, their, eating from their picnic baskets. It, it, right. And not their figurative picnic baskets, their literal picnic yes. baskets. So but who I'm, was your boo boo? Would that be. Uh, no, it, Coop it, seems like he could be a good boo bear. This but. is great because Coop was my boo bear. And <laughs> I I don't remember if I ran into him in the hallway or if I ran into him while I was lugging the composite down the street in the middle of the night. But either way, he was there. So, with the composite. <laughs> so we steal off with this composite for no real no real reason. We had no game plan. We just, you know, kind of took it, brought it home, woke up the next morning, got a chuckle out of it, and decided, you know, okay, great. What the hell are we going to do with it now? But Coquette insisted that we take a picture around it and hold this up with pride, almost as if a be- as if it's a badge of honor, because the brothers of the keg house had struck first and struck furious- furiously. Mm-hmm. At the Sisters of Gamma Phi Beta. Now, never mind that it wasn't another fraternity that we, you know, lashed out against. It was a sorority. (laughs) (laughs) And we weren't even, we weren't even a fraternity. We weren't even in the Greek. We were just a bunch of idiots with... Correction. It's a loose we, band of unaffiliated... <laughs> we, technically, we were one idiot, me... <laughs> who decided to steal a composite and now have have no idea what to do with it and, and, and how to return it. So um, Coquette 
makes uh, makes the plea to for us to to gather around and take a picture, um, but the only time they could take the picture, uh, or we could take the picture, was um, while Peters was on his way out the door to some type of sorority function. So that explains why he is so dressed up. Yeah, and I, I, I probably hadn't thought about that for at probably twenty years since we took the picture and just um, dug it up while randomly moving some things around. Actually, I was looking for um, one of the top ten lists that we had talked about um, in one of our previous episodes, and I stumbled across the picture. But uh, it was it was enough to, to put that out there to, to, um, to spark some chatter amongst some f- folks that I haven't talked to or seen uh, in a while. So... Um, as embarrassing as that may be, documenting the fact that I couldn't get laid to save my life and I had to resort to stealing a sorority composite to make uh, an eventful evening out of an otherwise non-eventful night. Yeah. It was worth having some folks come out of the out of the woodworks. And, and 20 years later, it's all worth it. Um, I wish it always was. I wish it always was. But in that particular case, it turned out to be a, uh, a good find. I'll tell you about my experience with the keg house. Um, now, you, for, for folks who don't know, um, we had lived there our junior and senior year. So 95 uh, and 96. We rented it as a, as a whole unit. Um, we filled all the bedrooms. We all knew each other, which... Um, wasn't always the case when um, Hall of Fame slumlord Dolph Chase rented the house. But he was a Hall of Fame slumlord. He was. He seriously was. In both in both uh, instances. Yeah. Um, I mean, he was great at being a slumlord. <laughs> <laughs> uh, so you um, were friends with Brian Peters from freshman year? Uh well, we actually were in a write, creative writing class, but I had befriended Alfredo, you know, and that was my connection to meeting Brian. Uh, but I befriended Alfredo, then I met Goldberg, and then I met Brian, you know, and that's how I ended up getting in. And Goldberg's like, we need one more. You want to come in? <laughs> I'm like, yeah, sure. Why the hell not? You know, so we had partied there a few times. I remember one night partying there. Uh, I'll save this story for another day because we're running short. But I do want to tell that uh, you're familiar with Dave Shaggy Amorosi, correct? Correct. With us. Uh, and there was Steven Sminger that also lived with us. So here's my experience with the keg house. You know, that's who it was, the six of us. Uh, BP, Goldberg. It was supposed to be Fredo, but uh, he wasn't exactly making the grades and he didn't make it back. There was this guy, Rob Stetner, that was supposed to live there with us. He was there for like a week, and he decided he didn't want to be with us anymore. You know, <laughs> he was an architecture student. I just don't think it was, you know, a good vibe for him because they have to do a hell of a lot more work, and all we were doing was, you know, drinking all the time. Right. So, um, so we move in, um, and it was homecoming 1996, the first year we were in there. 
And we had turned that little back bedroom, the one right off of the uh, TV room there, the living room, yep. into our Beirut room. You know, we'd set it up. We had a you know couple of sawhorses or whatever with a green paint, spray painted green piece of plywood, and we just played Beirut, or as the kids nowadays call it, beer pong, all night. And Steve had passed out. He was sleeping on one of the couches in the living room. And Shaggy and I, it's probably like 5 in the morning or something. We're just sitting there playing one-on-one Beirut at this point. And Shaggy, that kid could drink more than anybody I knew. Like, he could walk around blacked out for like five hours. And he never changed his demeanor. He was the same guy when he was sober as when he was drunk. He was never too excited. He was always just even keeled. Always had the same look on his face. Excuse me? He always had the same look on his face, right? Oh, yeah. He was, it was never like, you know, like some people drink because they're kind of like miserable and drinking makes them happy. He drank just to be himself. <laughs> <laughs> and he drank a lot. So we're sitting there playing a one-on-one Beirut and then uh, this guy comes walk, just walking in off the street while, <laughs> you know, because the door was unlocked. And he looks in while we're playing, and he's like, hey, guys, I used to live here. I'm, I'm going to sleep on the couch. <laughs> I'm like, yeah, all right, whatever. I don't know. And he's trying to talk to us. And we're like, all right, dude, leave us alone. You know? <laughs> so he goes on the couch, and eventually I'm like, I got to go to bed. So I go upstairs. I'm up in the third floor in one of those little rooms up there, you know? Yeah. One of those attic rooms. And then next thing you know, I hear banging on my door. And I'm like, what the hell? And it's Steve. I look at the clock. I think it said, it might have said 725. I don't know what time it was. Maybe 625. Whatever it was. It was early in the morning. And I open the door. I'm like, what's going on? He's like, like, Liv, you got to help me. Shaggy's out of control. (laughs) the fuck is going on 7 30 in the morning or whatever time this is so i go down there and uh he's telling me what happened he's like look i woke up and he's they had a chair in there you know the bathroom was right next to you know the other room right the, uh, right off the living room but we had the bar we had built and there was a chair right there like a little wooden chair uh and apparently what happened was steve woke up and he sees Shaggy pissing on that chair, thinking it's the toilet. <laughs> <laughs> so, so he starts yelling at him, like, what are you doing? And clearly Steve's waking up from a drunken stupor, and Shaggy's blackout drunk, so they start fighting over this. This is all before I come down there. All at 7 o'clock in the morning. Yes, this is all at like 7 o'clock in the morning. Apparently this is what led to a fight, you know, and it, somehow I had moved to the kitchen and the coffee pot was broken whatever he's explaining all this to me <laughs> and and it's the guy that that came into the house and decided to sleep on the couch is laying that's just sleeping on the couch doing this shit <laughs> and, uh, and then shaggy just comes walking back down there i don't know where he came from and it, and next thing you know they start going at it again and i'm trying to break this fight and they were both big dudes steve Shaggy was tall. He wasn't, like, really thick or anything. He was pretty slight, but he was about 6'4", and Steve was about 6'4", and Steve was a big kid, you know? Uh, yeah. And they're gone at it, and I'm trying to break them up, 
And as I'm trying to break him up, the guy in the couch pops up and he's like, Stop it! What are you doing? You're brothers of the keg house! (laughs) (laughs) It was Coquette. Gave him a glare. I mean, it turns out it was Matt Coquette, of course. At what point did he introduce himself? He might have introduced himself when he came in the house at five-something, but we had no clue who he was. It wasn't until the next day when he was hanging out with us. (laughs) (laughs) The next day, we're, like, hanging out on the couch, and Steve's like, oh, bro, I don't know really what happened. He's like, I feel so bad about that, because he popped Shaggy, you know? Yeah, yeah. And he gave him a bloody lip, and then Shaggy comes down. This is probably actually, like, around 4 p.m. or something, because that's the... On a weekend, that's when the house came to life. Right. Yeah. And Shaggy comes down. He has no memory of anything would happen. He just knows that Steve, you know, busted his lip. He comes down, and Steve right away is like, uh, I'm so sorry. So sorry. And he's just like, <laughs> fuck you. And then once once this situation was explained to Shaggy um, about the fight and what it was over, I think he kind of looked past it, you know, like, right. all right, all right, that's just drunk and stupid shit. But that's when we learned, and that's when we learned the legend of the keg house, because I was like, what the hell is this guy talking about? <laughs> and then you guys were up there that weekend, and I, I don't know if you were there. Well, you were probably were there, because it was the first year after you graduated. Yeah, I don't remember where I stayed. And I remember somebody, one of y'all explained to me that it was, you know, oh, that's Coquette, and because I'm Sanders, and this was the keg house, because it's not no 210. <laughs> but that was, that was even a stretch to have to explain it at that point. And any time, you know, kind of people were around enough to, to kind of catch wind of what was going on here, and they'd be like, is he? Is that 9021? And you would just have to say, yeah, man, just roll with it. Uh, trust me. Yeah, you don't know what he's talking two, about. Two, two uh, brawling drunks that had no clue about the reference beforehand. You know, <laughs> that's going to be like your olive branch right there. Oh, wait, we're brothers in a keg house. Let's stop this brawling. <laughs> <laughs> uh, did he end up staying a whole weekend? Uh, I don't know if he stayed there. No, I think he might have. He might have moved on after that night. Yeah, he I'm was, not really sure. Man. Yeah, there he, were so many people that passed through that house through the years, just coming back and sleeping on the couch or whatever. You know. Yeah, he was random. He's a pretty good roommate. You know, no no issue. He's older, and um, he ended up moving out halfway through the yeah, I year. Remember about Eleven or twelve years ago, randomly running out into him on the streets of uh, New Orleans in the French Quarter. He was just hanging out. I think he was here for some. Uh, convention or whatever involved with the business he was in. I think it might have been well, – did he have a family construction business no, or something like no, that? No, no, no. No, it's a family business, but it's a family toy manufacturing business. Okay. That's what he was down here for, a convention affiliate with that, I believe. And he used to go to conferences all the time, and he used to go to Boston um, when I was up there in Boston living with Peters and uh, Sean Reardon. And he would show up at the house, but he'd always bring – Pizza and soda, <laughs> you know. So he came bearing gifts. So you're like, oh well, yeah. he's gonna feed us. Um, he's not a bad guy. All right, come on over, come on over. And you know that lasted a bunch of years, and then I think he ended up, um, 
you know, kind of taking over and running the family business. So he, you know, he wasn't in sales. He didn't, you know, do any of the conventions anymore. And I'm pretty yeah. sure he ended up settling. I think he's like from Erie, Pennsylvania or something like that. Okay. okay. And we haven't heard, 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 toys. heard from him since. Huh. But maybe we know. maybe you'll hear from him again. Maybe we can get a keg house reunion. Yeah, uh, now 20... he's getting major airtime on the Two Sorry Excuses podcast. <laughs> maybe maybe that's enough. Maybe maybe that's that's yeah. We can move that's on to some enough. other topics. Um, uh, some hoops. There. We had some hoops this week. Yep, yep. We played our oldest rival, Colgate, and won once again. What's that? Fifty-seven uh, in a row. Enough. Yeah, it's something ridiculous like that now. Why do you- um, what's crazy is I went and looked up the numbers, and the last time they beat us, that was like the third or fourth time in a row they had beaten us. And then ever since then, it's just gradually gotten further and further away from them. But they gave us some nervous moments, and but a lot of that also had to do with the fact that our free throw shooting was horrendous. I'm uh, perusing a box score right now. While you do that, what do you, what I understand the economics of, of college basketball, and you know a, a national power wants to pay their schedule, wants to bring in cupcakes, you know, w- wants to to guarantee a win, and they'll pay the the um, you know they'll pay the visiting team's fee to come on in and, and play a guarantee game. But you know what makes why does Colgate make the cut? You know, fifty-seven years in a row, or or, or whatever it is, is it, it's not it's not some local interest that you know drums up attendance for an otherwise meaningless game because the dome, you know, is about half empty as you'd well, expect. Uh, well, two things: Colgate, you know, used to be our biggest rival. Uh, I mean, because of their proximity, they were our biggest rival. Like uh, the game, you know, the famous football game where Jim Brown scored like 43 points for Syracuse. Yeah. Are you aware of that game? I am it was aware. against Colgate. I think that game was like, you know, when, when they won that game, that was like broke like a streak where we hadn't beaten Colgate in years. Like it used to be a very vicious rivalry. And in fact, I looked up the numbers. We, we quit playing them after like the 83-84 season and then pick it up again until my freshman year, which was 94-95. Uh when they're paying teams to play them, they're paying them their cost of transportation. So you play Colgate, you know, it doesn't cost much to take a bus 30 minutes away. Yeah, yeah, if the you price know, is right. That's a big incentive right there. You know, you get all these teams from New York, and a lot of them, smaller budget schools, like even if they're three or four hours away, they're not flying a plane, they're taking a bus. You right. Know, so you cut out that. Plus, I guess you get a little juju because you're keeping the money in state. You know. Yeah. No. I mean, I I, I like uh, you know I like the fact that there's a proximity there. Um, you know, I think there's a natural connection uh, between the two schools. So I you know I think it makes sense. Um, you know, just nowadays with the you know the 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 jockeying of the schedules and the increased you know. Excuse me, conference commitments. You know what what makes yeah. this a, a game that 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 stays on the schedule year after year, as opposed to 
you know, bringing back a, um, you know, a St. John's or, you know, a a Villanova for a a standing one in one or a home in home, something like something like that. So, you know, if it makes sense financially and we're going to play these games, you know, in the beginning of the season, regardless, uh, then by all means, you know, keep that, you know, kind of tradition for what it's worth alive. What's um, kind of crazy is you can see where Syracuse basketball, well, the school in the basketball program blew up in the last, you know, over the last uh, 60 years, you know? Like, I believe at one time they were very similar schools, Syracuse and Colgate, you know? Right. They were small, private, central New York colleges, and they had a healthy rivalry. And then Syracuse started expanding after World War II, you know, with the GI Bill. And then the basketball programs were even kind of on the same par. Uh, you know, and then we had a little success in the 70s, and then Beheim took over and it just exploded. They were even playing home and away against Colgate all the way up until like the late 70s. You know, it was that type of series. Now, could you ever imagine us going to go play in their tiny gym? <laughs> you know, it's way too much of a production to go play. For Syracuse to go play in Colgate's, I don't know how many people could sit. I can't imagine they have a gym that seats any more than five thousand people. Or yeah, something. that's probably that's probably about right. If if that, so it's kind of crazy, you know the the divergent past. They decide to stick with just being a, uh, you know, a nice little private school with, you know, occasionally get like a Patriot League invite to the tournament or whatever. Where Syracuse turned into this mammoth. Uh, Basketball program and school, you know. So, uh, but as far as St. John's goes, we are playing them on the fifteenth. I know at Madison Square Garden, you should be there. Uh, I should be there. I'm making every attempt to be there. Unfortunately, right now I've got a a conflict uh, that I'm trying to work out. But um, ah. I have a standing invitation to St. John's games from. Uh, Good friend Liz Stillman, who works uh, yes. uh, for Bloomberg Radio. Um, oh, okay. Also, the mayor of, yes, of New York. Yes. Um, so we're able to kind of um, glad hand a couple comps to see uh, Syracuse anytime they come in. And last year was great. I well, they they maybe played the the two K coaches classic. Uh, in addition to the St. John's game, came in yeah. for. Um, for Biggie's tournament, so I, I probably saw four or five games last year. But That's nice. this would be my really my only shot at getting them um, at the Garden when they come in the fifteenth. So we'll see. Hopefully that that'll happen. But um, another New York team gave them fits this uh, week. Dude, the St. Francis St. Francis of Brooklyn, as ESPN has. Uh, named them, which used to always be St. Francis of New York, and now they're calling St. Francis of Brooklyn. That was, they played us tight. They slowed the game down. We got lethargic, and I thought they were going to, I thought they were going to take that from us. And, you know, I was going to have to be on suicide watch there for a minute because that was going to be all over ESPN, you know, tiny St. Francis. Especially the way they were billing it. You were, you were watching ESPN three, right? Oh man, yeah. How they reminded you about eight hundred seventy three times that they have never been a top ten team ever. You would think that that um, that Butler came in and you know w- was giving us a run for the the amount of hype that the 
the announcers were given St. Francis. Now, they played a, a, a tough game, and they're, they're, they were gritty kids, and yep. they stood toe-to-toe, um, and there's no excuse you know, for giving them their credit. But they're the sep- – in the, the coaches' preseason poll, they were ranked number seven in the Northeast Conference. They, yeah. they don't even get a home game if the – uh, if they make the conference tournament based on those rankings, they I think the NEC takes eight teams and they play um, they play home affairs all the way through. High seed hosts uh, the tournament game, and um, at at seven they they barely make the tournament based on preseason rankings. And the Northeast Conference is a one bid league. Of course, yes. And and a, they've got probably a 30%, 40% chance of playing in the play-in game every year. Now, the interesting thing about St. Francis, like we talked about, was that their win against Miami is a quality win for the Northeast Conference because it's going to bump not only St. Francis's RPI, but it's going to bump the entire conference R, uh, um, RPI. And subsequent Miami upsets are going to aid the Northeast Conference standing when it comes to March um, Madness seeding time. But if St. Francis was to get in it by winning the tournament crown, you know, they got a shot at maybe getting, uh, you know, a 12 or a 13 seed, but they're not there yet. That's a, there's a lot of season that has to play out before they're the team that, you know, that the announcers were talking about. Um, so there's no reason they should have been toe to toe with us through, you know, 36 yeah. minutes of basketball. They lost to Dayton on Saturday by 20, but uh, Dayton's looking. So even that's not even a bad loss because Dayton tonight went into Georgia Tech in Atlanta and won by 10, and they're undefeated. And they played us tight. So. I don't know if they can show the promise that they're shown in the non-league schedule. They look like they have to be better than the seventh place team in the NEC. You know, yeah. I think they're still if they win their conference, they'll still have a. Uh, they should have a decent RPI for a team from their position. And you know, I hope that's the case um, because it will make this game stand out a lot less um, in terms of being you know. You know, four minutes away from being a a, a major upset, but uh, we still didn't look good. No, um, not at all. And our our free throw shooting against Colgate, we went twelve for twenty eight, which is really ridiculous. Uh, it made a a game that was a bigger spread look closer than it was. The game the other night, we went eighteen for twenty seven, uh, and we were horrible. We were we were giving away points on the line, you know. Like they played us tighter than we needed than we should have been played, but you know we were passing up opportunities to tie the game, to take the lead. We just couldn't hit a free throw, and at the end of the game, somehow Jeremy Grant hit two for two, and then C.J. Fair hit two for two. But you know you can't afford to be doing that against when we're playing, uh, you know, Dukes, Maryland, UNC, and ACC teams, and the. The traditional battle cry, you know, from folks, whether it's alumni or, or just the general fan base, is, well, you know, that's Syracuse basketball. You know, you go back uh, all the way to 88, you know, 86, we can't shoot free throws. Uh, 
Um, that's the problem. That Jim Beheim's teams, you know, they just can't get it done on the free throw line. But the difference between those teams and 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 uh, Monday night's game is if you're going to be, you know, shooting under seventy percent from the free throw line, you got to be shooting better than thirty five percent from the field. Yeah. In order to balance that out, and we just can't get the offense in a groove. Well, then the other night the problem was our best offense was Dewan Coleman, but he but he's not good. On, he's a defensive liability, so we couldn't play him. Now, that was one of the things that did stick out, and and you know, for anybody that wants to take credit for that win, um, you know, whether it's Jeremy Grant coming off the bench, and you know, he's put in thirteen points, and um, you know, had a pretty decent game from the field, and. You know, he struggles from the line, but yeah, you figure that he'll get that worked out. Um, Binjay hit a couple uh, clutch free throws down the stretch, which was nice. Yeah. But, um, you know, Jim Beheim coached them to that win. You know, the adjustments that he made in, in, in the last, you know, few minutes and, and the strategic substitutions. Like, that's the kind of thing that, you know, that's why a team like Syracuse wins this game more times than a team like St. Francis doesn't. And, you know, they're a particularly well-coached team, um, St. Francis, and, you know, they had good kids. But you can't match move for move with Jim Beheim. Yeah. I mean, he's knocking on 1,000 career wins, you know, if he if he coaches for another couple of years. Um, so you expect him to make those moves to kind of pull us through. But... You know, this year he's got Shashevsky on the other bench twice. He's got Roy Williams. You know, he's got he, he's got some games that the offense is going to need to come around because he's not going to be able to to make up for those deficiencies that are clearly you know clearly present in these early couple games. Well, and of course we have Pitt, who always gives us fits. Yeah. Uh, let's talk about a little bit about that the upcoming schedule. Okay, well, Monday we're in Maui. Uh, Minnesota is our first game out there. Technically, technically, we hosted the opening yes. round of the Saint Maui Francis Invitational. Game was the first game of the Maui Classic. How's that for a recruiting pitch? If you're a kid, yeah. if you're a kid playing at, in, at St. Francis, yeah, don't worry. Is that <laughs> we're headed to Maui? We're in the Maui Classic. We're in the Maui Classic. Sport. At least they'll get nice tote bags or sweatshirts or whatever it is they give folks to play in those tournaments. But Minnesota is coached by the son of of Jim Beheim arch nemesis, Rick Patino. The son, Richard Patino, is their coach. Let's hope he's not taking any notes from his father. <laughs> because we we always struggle with the Ville. How um I haven't paid too much attention to, to Minnesota. How do they look this year? They're undefeated. I haven't paid that much attention. I was just looking over their schedule today. I mean, they haven't played anybody outstanding. They did play Montana, the team we decimated in the first round of the tournament last year, and they beat them, uh, you know, by at least 15, 16 points or something like that. Uh, You know, they have a very uh, favorable schedule for them, just like we do. So no one's... So I can't say for sure how good they're going to be. I think for them, you know, you, you for Syracuse, it's kind of like you expect a certain level. 
But Minnesota, you know, you're dealing with a team that, you know, is usually kind of a decent program, but they have a new coach now. Um, you know, I don't, I don't think it's such a sure thing what they have. I'm sure they're going to learn a hell of a lot more about the team on Monday than they know through the first five or six games they played so far. Well, that was one of the things that I did notice that that stuck out um, in the St. Francis game is uh, they really pared down the rotation, um, and the the freshmen uh, Roberson, Patterson, and and Johnson, um, yep, you know, hardly played at all. Yep, which I noticed I, that as well. I, I think you know if if Cooney is not gonna. Uh, is not going to be able to get on track and, and be as consistent or as uh, on fire as he was in the opener, we're going to probably need one of those guys um, you know, to kind of step up and take some of the pressure um, off the bench, which looks like now will probably just be uh, an eight- or nine-man rotation. Yeah, well, Cooney, one of his comments – after the game was because you know he was trying to drive to the basket a bit, and he says he's trying to work in that game because he's never going to be open up again if they don't think he can score by driving, you know. And that's right. his big problem right now is after the first game, everybody knows just man up on Cooney, and he's not going to be able to hit hit a shot if he's not open, you know. So that's one of the issues right there. Um, another issue I think with this team is. You know, I mean, everybody after last year, and then we had good players come in, C.J. Fair's here, and I know I probably expected more from him now, but, uh, I mean, I was expecting Jeremy Grant to, like, you know, all of a sudden be awesome because he has so much promise, but he's still not there yet, and that's one of the things holding us back. And plus you got new guys trying to work in, you know, freshman like Ennis, who's going to be great, but he's trying to get used to the college game, and, you know, it might be 10, 15 games in the season when they're really finally playing at the level that, that I'm expecting them to. I don't know how you feel about that situation, but that's my thought. I, I would hope so. Um, you got to figure, um, you know, a guy like Ennis who's 9 for 31 from the field, um, you know, is going to get his stroke. Um, you know, he's not turning the ball over. You know, yeah. he's he's holding on to it. He's distributing. Um, you know, obviously leads the team in assists. He um, did shoot four or six from three point range against Colgate, which was impressive. And he and he handles the boards. Yeah, I, I mean, wait, what? He's only six two, right? Yeah, six two, six three. Yeah. yeah, he's not he's not big. Um, so that's nice to see. And you know, so when his shot isn't falling, he's you know he's making up for it in other parts of his game. Um, you know, he comes around, he gets his touch. You know, Grant continues to improve and stays consistent, and Cooney can get back on track. And then you can get something a little um, a little more prolific out of Christmas and Coleman on a regular basis. Uh, you're in pretty good shape, but, um, you know, 14, 15 games into the season, uh, you're going to have no choice but to start ratcheting it up because that's when you start to get, uh, you, you know, you start to get North Carolina, you get Duke. Um, you go on a run of of Duke, Notre Dame, Clemson, Pitt, yeah. NC State, BC, and and Duke. That's a pretty tough February. 
Yeah, you're you'll be in as uh, as the as the guys in Nam used to say, you'll be in the shit. <laughs> uh, speaking of the shit, I think uh, I think we've covered a, a good amount for tonight. Um, anything else we're missing? Uh, well, Jameis Winston is still in trouble. Yeah, this story keeps getting weirder and weirder in terms. It's getting worse and creepier too. Yeah, and. You just you don't know who's on what side, and you know how long they can let this kid keep playing before, you know, there's an outcry for for some type of action uh, on the part of of FSU. But you would think at this point of where we are in terms of media attention and and um, scrutiny of major college programs that cover up. Is something that doesn't even figure into the equation anymore, um, you know. After the whole Penn State Penn State scandal, but I don't know. There's a lot of people who seem to have their well, hand in this cookie jar. Yeah, you got the family of the accuser coming out saying that uh, the police told her that this, like a detective in particular, told her this is a pretty big football town, like something you see out of a movie. Yeah, almost you know? Friday Night Lights kind of thing. Yeah, something you didn't think happened anymore. I mean, you know it happens in one respect, but for them to blatantly say it, if they did say it, you know? Right. Like, I mean, we all know that, you know, by de, de facto, they turn their eyes away from certain things, like in, you know, wherever teams are big, you know? But to, to actually, if this guy actually did tell them that, that's... You know, it it's ridiculous. It is like the program, Friday Night Lights, just preposterous if that's really what went on, you know. And turning over, um, you know, they were telling, they turned over evidence apparently or made uh, the attorney for Winston aware of stuff while they, while they suppressed information to the accuser's accuser and her family it's it just it something's rotten in denmark my friend i think uh you know what's gonna end up happening man they're gonna put they're gonna put the whole damn system on trial yeah well (laughs) system seems to go on trial like every other year at this point (laughs) (laughs) yeah so we'll see what happens um um so we're moving on there in other legal news of course uh as mentioned earlier uh Rick Springfield is on trial. Yeah, you know what? I had no idea um, that this story even existed, let well, alone was receiving the, so much play in the media. Yeah, the interesting thing, it, it was in 2004 at the State Fair when he was performing a show. Uh, my favorite part of the whole coverage of this is if you go to the Syracuse newspaper's website, Syracuse.com, they keep referring him to referring to him as 1980s pop icon, which I think is a bit of a stretch. He's kind of like 1980s pop one-hit wonder who was on a soap opera or something. Uh, but they they called a mistrial today because they were the jury was ready to convene to uh, make up their mind, decide the case, deliberate. And then the judge, judge ruled a mistrial because apparently... 2004, there wasn't Facebook and Twitter and all this stuff. So all these people who heard about it never even knew a case was going on. 
but had heard about it since this time, start posting pictures, apparently, to, to social media sites. And the judge was like, well, there's evidence being produced by social media. We're going to have a mistrial because it could, uh, you know, it could be very key in deciding the case. So this is kind of interesting. But what's the gist of the of the charges? This is what happened. Uh, the other night, last night, I was reading this story. Uh, so in 2004, he's performing as part of the Chevy series or whatever at the State Fair. One of the things he likes to do during his shows is walk out into the crowd where he walks on the chairs and stuff as the, as the admiring, I imagine, 50-something-year-old women fawn all over him. And what is alleged here is that he walked out into the crowd and he fell backwards onto a woman, his buttocks <laughs> fell onto her head. And she stayed and she kept taking, taking pictures, you know, never called the police or anything. And then a couple of days later, she said she started feeling woozy in her head and stuff. And she, uh, you know, went to the doctor and then... Nine years later, here we are with the Rick Springfield trial, and you got the absurd scene of Rick Springfield, you know, on the uh, <laughs> Rick Springfield being interrogated in court, you know. Because his ass concussed some woman? Yeah, she said it had rained earlier that day. She said it was the seats were still wet. Uh, they're disputing the contentions. They're like, one, there were no seats. It was benches. You know, there's all this. <laughs> mumbo jumbo gone back and forth. Well, that's what it said that it was his ass that fell and and hit her. But she she stayed and enjoyed the show. I mean, I mean, well, how could you not? If you left, you'd definitely be missing Jesse's girl. Yeah, absolutely, yeah. absolutely. I would weather Rick Springfield's ass to to make sure that I heard Jesse's girl. So uh, I would say that's his uh, open and shut case. Dismiss. Move on. Yeah, well, apparently that's not happening, and it's going to be rehashed soon. Whenever they, uh, whenever they decide that this is going to be reheard. Uh, moving on, uh, other note: uh, we don't talk much about women's basketball, but our women's basketball team won by seventy-one points tonight. Um, University of Maryland Eastern Shores was in town. Yes, uh, I, I know the points they scored in the first half. I saw a note saying that that was their record for most points in a half. Uh, I don't know if 113 is their most points ever totally. Uh, and unfortunately, I haven't been able to find any updates on that because they haven't posted any recaps or anything yet. And, uh, you know, I don't have Stat Boy or the Elias Sports Bureau to refer to. <laughs> and one other note that I have, uh, our good friend Michael Cuddy, his cousin's son, who I imagine must be his first cousin, I don't know. He doesn't say, which would make his cousin's son, if it is his first cousin, his first cousin once removed. He apparently is a really good uh, lacrosse midi, and he signed a letter of intent to play with uh, Syracuse next year. And one fun fact about Cuddy's cousin's son. He's from Vestal, New York. He's the only player in his high school's history to make the varsity as an eighth grader. So he must be pretty damn good. Well, there you go. There you yeah. go. Second generation. Yeah, there you go. Q's. Big shout out to the 
to the Cuddies, and his cousin's son's name is Pat Carlin. I'm Pat Carlin. I'm mention the guy's name. All right, be on the lookout for for Pat um, next spring. Right? He's a he's he signed his intent to come yeah, next class year. Class of 2014. Do you have any uh, any other notes? No, man. I think we uh, we pretty much covered it. All it's right. a special Wednesday edition of Two Sorry Excuses. Yeah, I think this was an excellent edition. Um, we'll be back at them next week. They can uh, subscribe to us on iTunes. All of our uh, all of our past episodes and and this uh, episode uh, will be uploaded to iTunes. Usually, we try to get them up there by Friday morning. Um, and um, they can follow us on Twitter. We yep. the next Twitter follow will be our fifth uh, Twitter follower. We're not we're not making as much hay uh, as we do on uh, on the Live Run Facebook account. Yeah, I was gonna say we need to do something about that, especially since two of the Twitter followers are me and the one person I told to follow us. <laughs> <laughs> and a and a spam uh, account yeah, that sells student three books. Are like spam accounts. <laughs> but uh, at two sorry excuses. Uh, but whatever, if, apparently if, there's people that are really concerned about two sorry excuses getting a bigger member so they can arouse their significant others. <laughs> <laughs> and uh, you can like our Facebook page at facebook.com backslash two sorry excuses. All right, well, with apologies to Girk's brother, we'll see you next week. So long, Sam, man. <laughs>